So hi, my name is Keith Gellhorn. I'm the founder and chief empowerment officer of Advocacy. And what we do is we coach neurodivergent youth and adults who live with ADHD, learning disabilities, autism, anxiety, and any co-occurring mental health challenge that impacts executive functioning. Uh, our clients are typically uh, students in high school. And then we've got a post-secondary transition program. We also coach uh, post-secondary students. As of uh, August 1st, we have 100% funding for all our post-secondary students that we coach. So if you are in uh, Nova Scotia, that's all through student loans. Uh, if you're in another part of the, the country, it does vary between 50 to 100%. Uh, best to contact us for information on how that works. Um, we also coach uh, adults who are struggling in their careers and or entrepreneurs. And uh, a couple recent uh, announcements as of late. Uh, well, one of the things we started doing recently is we're collaborating with the Adult ADHD Center, which is based out of uh, Burnaby, British Columbia. They have uh, they have uh, nurse practitioners basically stationed right across Canada, and they can offer uh, ADHD diagnosis via telehealth for three hundred dollars. Um, and they've got about a six to eight week turnaround. So that's one one organization we're working with. And then as of this week, uh, or not this week, last Monday, there's another organization runs somewhat similarly called Beyond ADHD. And uh, they're based out of New Brunswick, but they also have nurse practitioners that are able to practice both in New Brunswick and Nova Scotia. Uh, similar model. However, they also address kids who have ADHD. So six and up. So they go six to 17 post-secondary students and, uh, and adults. So um, as of Friday, we're going to be live on their website and we'll be uh, handling a lot of the coaching for them. So uh, up until this point, I've usually handled adults, um, but we've had so many requests for the youth uh, and kids and parents. Um, and I have a whack of coaches who are chomping at the bit to tackle that area. So we're going to open up to that. So it'll be like full service right throughout the age range, which is how I like it because it doesn't just go away. Um, so today uh, we have Dr. Wayne McLeod. He's a local doctor here in Halifax um, who practices uh, family medicine, I believe. She, you're, my, you're my girlfriend's doctor, which is kind of a funny, funny thing. Uh, and also has this keen interest in doing the disability tax credit. And we're all excited to hear all about that and what you have to say. So introduce yourself and tell us about yourself. Well, hello, folks. Uh, as, Keith, as Keith said, uh, I'm uh, Dr. Wayne McLeod. I'm a family doctor with, a, with an office in Bedford. And uh, I've, I've been in practice about 20 years. And uh, I've, I've I had an interest in the disability tax credit which was uh, a relatively new, relatively new government program when I was in residency, and um, when it when it came out when it came out it was um, a, 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 well it, it was and it still is a terrific a terrific program, but um, it's a it's a program that suffers from a lack of education and awareness, a lot like a lot like ADD and ADHD actually. Um, it's a tremendous program that once a person is quali qualified into the program, there's a considerable, there's some considerable financial benefits that come from it, and it's also connected and linked to other sorts of things uh, like 
particularly in ed in education. So, so for instance, if you have a student a student uh, going into university or trade school that has uh, has ADD or has been has been has been approved for the disability tax credit, it makes it a lot easier for that person to get uh, accommodations with their with their schooling. Um, so it's been it's been around for a long time. I've always had sort of an interest in it because it was relatively new when I was in residency. And then over the over the course of the pandemic, uh, I had because of the way the way medicine was being done over the in the early parts of the pandemic, I had a little free time on my hands, and uh, and had had this thought about uh, here in Nova Scotia, there's 100 to 120,000 people who don't have a family doctor, and uh, this this particular government program requires a healthcare professional or a family doctor to uh, to uh, complete the application for the applicant, and so I got thinking to myself, well, how do the how do the people here in Nova Scotia who don't have a family doctor, how do they get this application filled out? So I consulted with the uh, consulted with my college, College of Physicians and Surgeons, and I consulted with uh, consulted with CRA, consulted with uh, with uh, my medical malpractice insurance to ask what if I were to hang out my shingle and offer this to people who weren't my doctor, if I could establish uh, a history with the a history of whatever illness might qualify for this credit, would I be allowed to help people who aren't my own patients officially? Could I help them do this credit? And uh, turned out I was allowed to. And so I started kind of doing evening, evenings and weekends doing the disability tax credit for people uh, regardless of what their what their um, what the disability was, and over the course of doing that, I've done I've done you know se several hundred applications anyway. Uh, I'm lucky enough to have some expertise in it now, and I have a fairly good track record of success. Uh, but more important more importantly, um, I've been able to establish sort of what it is CRA is looking for when you're looking to get an application approved. So I've got a bit of a process that kind of helps people along. So some of you may be familiar with the credit, but if you don't, if you're not, it's a federal credit that, uh, that comes from the federal government. It, um, it's, it's essentially a break on, on a person's taxes. So the government recognizes that persons who have disabilities have increased costs associated with their disability that a non-disabled person has. And as a result, they will offer some financial respite, essentially. So if you have a uh, so you get a break on the taxes that you owe. If you've been if you've had an had an illness or a condition that's lasted for several years, then uh, then you can actually get a retroactive uh, kind of refund for those taxes. So so that's one of the great things about the tax credit is that you actually if you've had an illness that has been that, that for which you could have been qualified for a number of years, you can get a you can get a, a refund on taxes that you owe. Uh, or, or a refund on taxes that you paid. The, the, big, the big benefit of the disability tax credit though is that it's linked to a financial product called a registered disability savings plan, which is, which is essentially an RRSP or a retirement fund that a person can pay into and the government will also, will, will also match your contributions to. So it's also, it's another Quite lucrative thing for uh, people to to apply to once their once their credit has been approved. 
The disability tax credit uh, covers illnesses that, that affects both physical and mental illnesses. It, it, doesn't, uh, it doesn't have any kind of exclusions. The, uh, the, the disability has to be prolonged and it has to be severe. So they define prolonged as anything that lasts, that, that has lasted or is going to last longer than a year. And it's, it, no, no illness is excluded. So a person with ADD or with ADHD, if they have it in a, in a sufficiently severe degree, then they will, you know, they should be able to get, get credit for this. All that, all that needs to be done is the application has to be signed by someone who understands what it is that Revenue Canada is looking for in order to get the application successfully fulfilled. Can you tell us, um, a, a lot of us, uh, especially people who uh, self-identify as ADHD or have mental health challenges, um, have tried to apply for this thing, been denied, um, multiple times <laughs> and uh why why now why is it why is it coming to the forefront now that um some of these uh, challenges are becoming more recognized well it uh so so this disability tax credit when it first started out it was um it came from a previous program an older program that really only represented uh illnesses that caused physical disability so the same program you know for Many many years, the government would would the federal government would would sponsor or contribute to persons who had amputations or were were blind, uh, if they if they if they were legally blind or if they were you know confined to a wheelchair. So there was a there was a federal pot of money that was assigned to help people with that. And uh, over the course of uh, over the cor- course of time, it was really uh, it was really. Um, the, the finance minister at the time was uh, was Mr. Flaherty. Mr. Flaherty had a uh, had a child. I think the child had Down syndrome, and he he so he had sort of a you know necessity can be the mother of invention. He kind of expanded that expanded that pool of funds to to persons with mental and physical disabilities. Um, and this this tax this tax credit program went through a number of changes over the past number of years. The most recent changes just in the last couple where they've recognized mental illnesses in a much more specific way. So compared to the old applications, the new application form really kind of shows where ADHD fits on the application. There's specific sort of criteria and specific sorts of deficits that are actually recognized that that apply to ADHD and ADD. So previous applications, um, previous applications were denied for a number of reasons. A lot of times doctors didn't put the right information in. Um, you know, doctors, doctors like to go from symptom diagnosis and treatment and anything that varies from that we're not really good at putting in writing so we'll put um a lot of application would say you know mr gellhorn has adhd i proved it by having this and this and this done and this is his medication but it didn't explain how the person met the criteria so unless you kind of really spell it out for the person reviewing it who's usually a lay person um how the person meets the criteria uh, then, then a lot of applications would be denied, and that would be that would be true for a lot of the mental illnesses. Unfortunately, the mental function section tends to face a higher higher degree in order to meet the criteria than the physical ones. It's, with the physical ones, 
it's a little more cut and dry. You know, a person is missing their leg or missing their arm. There's no fudge in that. Um, but if the person has a mental illness, there's degrees of severity. There's uh, ways of describing it. Um, you have to be very, very succinct but clear how the person's deficits meet the criteria. So a lot of times we don't talk about the uh, about the very some and sometimes you think it's going to be really complicated, but it's actually really simple. Like when you have to say this person's memory is so bad that everything has to be repeated three to five times for them to get it, or you know to get my child to get my child dressed in the morning it's like tie trying to get trying to tie up an alligator it you know you have to really kind of point out how how the person differs from someone who is neurotypical and uh, and so we're out we're out a lot of times doctors are at fault for not putting the right information in and patients and clients sometimes don't really make it clear to their doctor how their illness affects them mm -hmm. Otherwise, you know, no, not wanting to be stigmatized, kind of being shy about it. When you're in the doctor's office, there's always that, well, I've got 10 minutes and i got to get out of here. There's all, you know, some, some of these things take a little bit more time to be thorough about. And uh, at the pace that we're all trying to set, sometimes a lot of those things get missed. Absolutely. What are your thoughts on all these uh, pop-up disability tax credit uh, writing services that take 30%? Um, yeah any thoughts on those yeah I, I i do have some thoughts one of the one of the uh one of my motivations for getting into this line of work was uh was a patient of mine who brought me forms that they had got they, they had received from one of these companies mm -hmm. and i felt quite sheepish that i hadn't identified that this person should have qualified and we got looking at it and uh, and and we went through it, and the, the, they send they send a bit of information, let you know what's going to happen, but they don't send all the information. So they don't send uh, they don't tell you, you know. They say, well, we're only going to charge thirty percent of this credit. We're only going to take thirty percent of the value of the credit, or sometimes it's forty yeah. or twenty five. Between twenty five and forty is what I've seen commonly. But if you don't really know how much money the credit is worth. You don't really know what you're leaving on the table. So that was one of my one of my criticisms. The credit is worth, you know, depending on how much money you pay in taxes, uh, it can be worth somewhere between five and eight thousand dollars a year in in refund. So if you have an illness that you that you haven't claimed for for several years, that can be a lot of money. And then to give that up to a company who is going to help you write these things. I, th I think it's a little disingenuous. Not, not only that, most of these companies still require your doctor to fill out the form. So they kind of go to bat for you a little bit, but they harass the doctor to do the form. And some of the companies will send the, send the form pre-filled out saying, you, the doctor, you, you just signed this form for your patient. Yeah. But it may, not, it may not match what the patient really has, or it may not meet what the patient has. And these companies, unfortunately, although there is a need for them, for some people who don't have a doctor or don't have anybody else to advocate for them, in a lot of cases, these companies are doing more harm than good because doctors have gotten kind of a bad, you know, a bad feeling about the disability tax credit because these companies kind of hound them to get these forms done. So they've kind of done more harm than good. So that's my, now, again, recognizing that if a person doesn't have another option, in in that way it, it is at least some help 
yeah, they kind of prey on, on people, I feel. And what I know about the disability tax credit is really the only thing that you can personally fill out is the first page, which is your, basically your information. And then the rest has to go through a doctor. Um, so yeah, forking over 30% of a big chunk is, it's not, not desirable. Um, yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure there's a, uh, yeah. How can someone use these companies if they don't have a family doctor? I'm going to open it up actually for live questions that people do want to ask. And I'm sure uh, tough monkey, uh, you'll be all over asking questions. Mark's been very active in, uh, in our other groups. So it's good. Um, but yeah, he's asking how can some of these comp or how can uh, someone use these companies if they don't have a family doctor? So, so some of those, com- so with, with some of those companies, they they are no help to you at all um i don't they they do have uh, some of the companies do have a doctor kind of on staff and 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 so they they may be able to use that particular person i don't know which companies are which though um but but years ago when these companies first came out they hired they hired a bunch of doctors to just kind of be quite mercenary about it and one of the things that happened in the background were doctors were where doctors were, um, you know, rubber stamping these applications without having any knowledge of the uh, applicant at all. And then they got into a lot of trouble for that, obviously. They're essentially committing fraud. And so we get another way, um, another reason why historically doctors have looked poorly on the application because years ago they heard that CRA gave, gave doctors a hard time for filling it out. Mm-hmm. So, so, so some of those companies really can't be of much help. Um, and, and, and really, and really, ideally, you're going to be able to get someone who's going to sign it, who is going to have the background information. So in my process, what I'll do is I'll need the, I'll need the applicant to send me information, uh, you know, medical records or psychology records or some proof that the real, you know, proof that the realness is present and how long it's been there. Because one of the things Revenue Canada will do is ask the doctor who has signed the application. Sometimes they'll send a follow-up questionnaire asking for more specific information. And other times they'll send, send a letter saying, well, send us the records that you reviewed to make sure that this person was qualified. So, so in my process, I always get that information ahead of time so I can just send that right to, right to CRA if we need to. Okay, so Jerry's asking, um, I had my doctor refuse to even look at it, not my family doctor, I don't have one. So as you mentioned, it, it is a huge chunk of the population, we're talking 10 to 12% of the population don't have a family doctor, so they're relying on uh, walk-ins or whatever they can get. Uh, yeah. What what would prevent a doctor from wanting to fill this out um, in terms of time frame, how, like, yeah, there's a well, whole. I'm sure there's a bunch of factors, but well, there there are there are a bunch of factors. Um, in my in in my in my opinion only, my opinions are just just my own. I think there's a lot of misunderstanding about the, about the tax credit. So there's still a lot of doctors that that feel that you know you have to be you have to be blind or have to be in a wheelchair in order to get this credit. And anybody that's not you know identifiably disabled to that severe that severity doesn't qualify which is not which is incorrect um so there's a lot of mis- misinformation among doctors about what qualifies and what doesn't um when a doctor if a doctor has had some experience sending applications and they get denied because they're not putting the right information in 
and then they get the idea, well, it's impossible to get qualified for this thing. Nobody ever qualifies. That also that also causes some that that kind of trouble as well. So so I think there's a lot of mis misinformation and a lot of lack of experience getting success with it. Um, that 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 makes doctors kind of shy away from it. I mean, no, none of us actually like doing doing paperwork. Really, we all hate it. We like to <laughs> see patients. We like to see patients and go home. But, yeah. but, uh, but I get into this because the credit is just so important and, uh, and uh, it can really make quite a di make a substantial difference in people's lives to get it. So, so it is worth kind of the pain of doing the paperwork. Absolutely. And once you've gotten the hang of it, it's really, really doesn't take all that long. Yeah. One of the things I always say is uh, paperwork's like kryptonite to Superman for us <laughs> with ADHD. It's the last thing on earth we even want to look at or think about or whatever. And especially back in the day when we spend all the time, we get all the paperwork together, we mail it out and then come right back with a bunch of revisions. And then you're sheepishly trying to go back to your doctor and nobody, nobody wants to look at it. Um, so, so a big question is how severe or how do you measure severity of ADHD? Because knowing recent research, it's known that we, those of us who have it, have had it our whole lives. Um, how do you measure that? And well, so, so that, that's a, it's a great question. So with all of the criteria, you know, how Revenue Canada defines severity is um, so so compared to somebody who's unimpaired, does it take that person three times as long to get X done in any given situation? So, and that, and it were, and that, and it works so much more black and white in in the physical impairments. So, so a person who has a severe has a severe walking impairment takes three times as long to walk a given distance as someone who isn't impaired. So that that's pretty easy to measure. Um, harder to measure with mental functions but but do but doable you know so when you say a person you know needs to have something repeated to them five to seven times in order to make it stick um you know when a per when you can demonstrate that the impairment causes um so social deficit when it causes occupational deficit when it causes emotional deficit then uh, then then that's getting that's getting into the severity you know um i think that i think that for adults one of the things that we forget to put up put on these things is the uh the uh, the isolation that a person feels when they come across as being self-absorbed because they can't retain information when they appear you know this person lost several jobs because they didn't they didn't appear to be paying attention to what they were to what they were doing or they were lost in thought or this person is you know has a history of procrastin you know procrastinating on important things so they've missed deadlines that are really important and those kinds of things saying those you know writing those things to indicate the severity of how the how the illness impacts them day to day gotcha yeah one of the uh the things that even though i coach around it right i have a i have to pay out of pocket for a I got a therapist, I got a coach, personal coach and a business coach. And I spent about a thousand dollars a month on that. Uh, my family all think I'm bananas for doing it, but it keeps me stable. Right. So I go up and down like a roller coaster, just like anybody else, even though I coach around it, I still, still experience these, these feelings. Right. And um, you know, my dad is a capitalist type of person thinks it's, it's asinine. I'm spending 12 grand a year on it to keep me, keep me mellow. But is that something or, or, 
signs like that, um, yeah, you know, yeah, expenses that we absolutely, absolutely. So, so okay. one of the one of the uh, one of the criteria in the mental functions is: does a person have a severe memory impairment? Right. So you say this person has to have things repeated to them three and five times in order to make it stick. They rely on they rely on notes and their telephone and their calendar in order to remember day to day things. They have to be reminded every day to take their medication. Yeah. Um, you know those those kinds of things. Um, the, the, those things highlight the sever the severity of the illness. Um, you know, if the person has a has a, a history of uh, in, interpersonal difficulties because they can't they can't adjust to a person's body language or their nonverbal communication. Um, those 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 kinds of those kinds of deficits. Those are those are things that they need to hear. Okay. Gotcha. So there's a bunch of people asking about how they can see you, <laughs> uh, obviously, and I'm sure your your waiting list must be massive. Uh, what is the process to connect with you? Do do they do you just do this for your patients, or do you do it for people outside? How does that work? So so I, I'm lucky enough to be able to do it for people outside. So I usually start usually start with uh, with an email. You know, I'll, I'll get I get them to contact me by email, and I discuss sort of. My my fee for doing it and the process for doing it and um, and the information I'm going to require and and that and we'll swap the information back and forth. So I'll normally have somebody email me a copy of the records that we can use to in case Revenue Canada is looking for the, looking for them and that way I don't have to harass them down the road looking for them right because that that's timed. You only get a certain amount of time to do that. So we start with an email and I'll review the records and if I think the records are going to going to go their way with an application then uh, then I'll do the application up and send and, and email it to them and, and email it back uh, people who live in Nova Scotia um, I can I can do it in person uh, we, I can set up a date and time to meet in my office and we can do it in my office and I can just bang it out there and bang it out there on that on that visit and send them home with it as long uh -huh. as I have the records so the people who do already have a diagnosis, does that make it easier for you? So if they have a psychiatric assessment, or does it matter? Do you have to have a diagnosis? How does it work? You don't need to have you don't need to have a diagnosis. Um, you know, so a diagnosis. So the re, one of the great things about the disability tax credit is a diagnosis isn't necessary as long as there is proof of the deficits. So a person go undergoing testing. Uh, as long as there's records that they that they've identified the deficits and that's under investigation, that's absolutely fine. Um, so so it's having the having the history, having the history of the deficits that's most important. Okay, and how you explain it, of course. Do I, I always we work a lot with post secondary students who go in with a psychiatric assessment, the final page, and they'll walk in and say, "I want all the stuff on here, right, for my accommodations," and yeah. and. I, I would imagine that, and we do a lot of stuff with grants. I would imagine that you have to say, I need this because of that and this because of that. You have to be very black and white as to how you how you that's, label it. Is that yeah, no, accurate? Yeah, okay. no, that's right. Yeah. Gotcha. So I think this answered that question. So Mark asked, uh, what about someone like me who's been diagnosed late in life? So I think Mark's probably, uh, I don't even want to guess, probably 40. I'm going to say 40 to be nice. Um, is someone like that able to receive a refund on the taxes paid, and if so, for how long? So, so the the, the tax credit is ret can be retroactive up to ten years ten years ago. Okay. So, if you had if if Mark is forty and he was diagnosed in his twenties, 
um, we can do we can do uh, we can get them kind of credit for thirty you know thirty up till now. Okay. Uh, so yeah, so it, it can be retroactive up to ten years. You don't need to you don't need to have had the diagnosis for ten years, but the symptom severity has to be documentable for ten years. How does that work, Dr. McLeod? Like, uh, do you need to have had, like, I've only, like I said, found out about a year and a half ago. And while I have a family doctor who unfortunately I'm going to be losing uh, very soon because they're moving on, but from a, like, I only just recently learned about even what all of this is recently, I guess a year and a half ago. So I, Prior to that, like I didn't know, I have had a like, um, sorry, one sec. <clears throat> Started getting a bit choked up as you're talking about some of this stuff um, and how it's impacted my life. And I didn't even know um, what it was. I Like I always knew I was different in some way, but never really understood what that meant. So I guess what I'm getting at is I didn't know what I didn't know. So I didn't like, I didn't reach out to my doctor for help with some things. Like there were definitely some comorbidities that were uh, associated with it as well. So, I mean, that's likely, you know, there's records, I guess, of that, but um, you know, only until recently did I reach out to my doctor for other you know, supports and that sort of thing and people like Keith and, uh, you know, that type of thing. So I guess that's why I'm wondering about the retroactive aspect of things where I, I don't know what you, what might be considered, um, records. If you know, well, understand what I'm trying to say. Yeah, no, no, I know. And it is, it is definitely a real problem. And also there's also the problem of, um, the wait times for evaluation and, uh, and getting in to get tested and getting a diagnosis can take a year and a half sometimes. And so you lose, so you kind of lose that, you kind of lose that time. But if you have records that, so let's say, let's say you were either incorrectly diagnosed or given labels of depression or anxiety because of other problems that happened in the past, yeah. you might, th those records might, might be, you know, might be able to help with that. So, so having the label, the, the label or the diagnosis doesn't matter so much as if you can demonstrate there were problems beforehand. Right. Okay. So, but is that only through a doctor? Like what other ways is there to demonstrate um, that there was issues beforehand aside from, yeah. you know, personal stories? Yeah, apart 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 from the medical record, I really don't know, Mark. I have to have to be honest. I don't know that there would be a way of going back any further than what's in the record, right? Um, I mean, you could you could suggest it. You, we know no harm to suggest it, but uh, but they're they're pretty they're pretty um, they're they're pretty firm on you know as far as the tax credit thing is concerned. Get it, you know you'll be more likely to get a diagnose you know eligibility for the last year and a half or two years maybe. Then that that goes forward for you ten years or something like that. So you often get you often get credit. The credit often is given to you for a period of time. So so lots of people will get retroactive for easy things like osteoarthritis or things like that that you can prove was there for years. But oftentimes what you'll get is you know from from 2018 to 2028 you'll be covered for it. 
And so you'll be able to claim the credit on your taxes going forward instead of going backwards. So there wouldn't be refund, but it would there would be there would be eligibility for going forward. Okay. One of the Thank things you. that I sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Um, one of the things that I've seen with a lot of us who have this, and uh, I've been fortunate that I actually enjoy my job, but uh, by the time I was 25, I had like 50 different jobs. Clear indicator that there's challenge, right? Um, have you ever seen that come about too, where, where you're looking at, just to kind of echo on what Mark was saying, um, have you ever seen, you know, the circumstances, either, you know, the amount of jobs that people have had, the frequency of which they're changing, the, uh, you know, mental health stuff that goes along with it. Have you ever seen anything like that come about as well? So, so yes and no. So, so unfortunately, the story, you know, in retrospect, we can tell a great, you can tell a great story. Yeah. Um, but that doesn't, that won't necessarily satisfy CRA in terms of uh, documentation and proof. But if during the course of that, you know, during that period of time, if you had been seeing psychology, if you happen to have had to have seen a psychologist, because you know behavioral trouble at work or personality conflicts at work and those kinds of things if there were psychological records or you know visits with a psychologist going back at that time that might be able to be used as proof but i've never seen like for instance i've not i've not seen them be able to use like an an hr record or anything like that 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 would be great if you could but uh but i've never seen that be uh be something that they use as the basis for proof Okay, so Mitchell asks, uh, he's got multiple diagnoses, so IBS, type 2 diabetes, ADHD, and depression. Uh, is having more than one diagnosis more helpful in getting approved? Uh, yeah, again, yes and no. Um, not, not really. Uh, regrettably, if you have more than one area of impairment, you don't get additional credits. It's just one, you're either, it's either a uh, yes, no kind of thing. You get approved or you don't get approved. So a person with IBS might get might get approved on the basis of the difficulties with bowel and bladder function that have nothing to do with the mental state associated with IBS. But if they have frequent bouts of diarrhea or you know those kinds of things, you could be qualified for that. So the more I guess the more medically ill you are, the more likely you have something that qualifies. But you're not necessarily going to get more credit for having more illnesses. So uh, Jerry was asking, I'm just trying to make sense of this question. He says, I have nephews with the diagnosis, but I'm the only adult in my family that has figured out that my issue is ADD. Mental illness is kind of taboo in New Brunswick. So Jerry, just to clarify, have you been diagnosed or you haven't been diagnosed? I, I'm not quite sure. Um what he's asking there. Okay. He ha- he has been diagnosed. Um, I don't know. <laughs> I'm not sure how to convey that question. Um, oh, but none of his cousins or siblings have, if it's around a diagnosis thing. Um, I mean, you can, do, do you, do you deal with the diagnosis side of things with ADHD or how do you handle that? And only with, only with my own patients. Fair, uh, yeah. Fair. Yeah. Only with my own patients. So, uh, yeah. so yeah, no, I wouldn't make it, I wouldn't presume to make a diagnosis on somebody that I was meeting just over the internet or, oh, of course, you know, yeah. or, or, or for the, for these purposes. Yeah. No, yeah. I wouldn't do that. no, no, fair enough. All right. Um, See if there's any other questions. Uh, one person was asking about, yeah, if uh, 
I think we might have answered answer this, you know, could report cards or um, family responses on a psych ed assessment, could any of those influence, influence well, it or not so much? Well, the psychoeducational ones would, could, could be used for sure. Okay. Um, the report cards, probably not so much. I mean, that's a great question. I've never, I've never, I've never used a report card as a, as proof of a person's ADHD inside of my own clinic, right? Of course. Um, so I don't, I don't know, I don't know about that. I think that they would, it would have to come. You know, the psychoeducational assessments for sure use those in lots of cases, but not the report cards. I think I'd asked you this before about the our DSP, and actually tomorrow when I initially saw you do your thing here, you were doing some stuff with uh, independent living Nova Scotia as part of their series. And actually tomorrow they are doing a thing on our DSPs, just a fluke. <laughs> um, I did post all their information on my uh, Eventbrite page. Um, but do you have any comments on the, the RDSP and how this kind of, you got to get the one to get the other, like, yeah. Any, so, so the that? yeah. So the D, the disability tax credit application is like your is like your gateway into getting a registered disability savings plan. Once you uh, once you get that qualified, uh, you can you can go either to the bank or to someone who is a, um, a financial planner, and they can help you set that up. It's um, I don't should look into this yourself. I believe it's up to age forty nine. Uh, that a that a person can contribute can contribute to one. So if you have a child, uh, you have a child with a diagnosis, um, you can uh, you you can make contributions to it up until their age forty nine, and then they can and then they can take that money out. So it's kind of like an RRSP, uh, that the, but better than an RRSP because the government will uh, will contribute to it, uh, will will match your contributions. Um, but yeah, so the, I don't know a whole other than other than that's what it is. I don't know much yeah. about it. I don't get into that myself. Other than I try to remind, I try to remember to tell everybody who I get qualified for it that they should go now and see if they can get an RSP RDSP set up because it's a it's a great financial product. I know there's a fee to do it, and I know doctors typically only get ten minutes to have an appointment uh, ish. Is that part of the big reason? Because one, they don't know how to do it necessarily properly, and then they do do it, comes back because there's something wrong, and then they, they're expected to do it again and again, and, you know, they just can't be bothered. Is that kind of I think I think, that's, I think that's at least part of it. Um, I think there's unfortunately a lot of um, bias about what constitutes a disability and what doesn't, and so if, if the doctor isn't open to considering the possibility that the person might qualify, then they then they won't get it. Right. Um, I mean, in, just in a general sense, all doctors hate paperwork. All doctors hate doing anything with Revenue Canada because we all hate them with a passion. Um, right. So just having to do anything with them at all just just gets your ire up anyway. But um, but I think I think there's that. I think there's, it's mostly the bias about what constitutes a disability and what doesn't and sometimes I think it's got to do with opening the floodgates if I do if I do one application for a person with depression then I got to do it for everybody in the practice with right. depression and I'll never get out of the paperwork or you know so if you if you've already got your limits on what you think qualifies then you cut down the number of applications you have to do so I think there's there's a bit of a self-preservation aspect to it too it's it's 
privately paid for. I don't know. I don't know about the other provinces. In Nova Scotia, um, the government won't pay you to do the application form, so you have to charge the patient for it. And maybe, maybe there's a bit of a bit of uh, guilt about taking money for doing those forms. I don't know, but um, but in my in my mind, it's certainly something that the benefit to the credit is worth going through the hardship of doing the application because it really can be life-changing for people. I was going to mention one thing on the doctor side of things. I actually coach a lot of doctors myself and pre-med students as well. Uh, that's kind of a niche I've fallen into. A lot of people, I'm actually coaching one right now, as a matter of fact, and, you know, everything's going great for her except the paperwork, right? She's getting no, none of her reports done, right? That's the, the feedback yeah. they're getting. But, uh, but yeah, it's definitely just, just like we experienced neurodivergence uh, and the challenges right. come along with it. Right. Well, who wants to do paperwork when you can be on Zoom doing some, having some fun, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, no. Do they identify as uh, someone who's neurodivergent? Is that what you mean? Yeah. The physicians that you coach? Yeah, yeah. A lot, lot oh. tons with ADHD. I've coached some on the spectrum. Cool. Um, there's ton, tons of them. Uh, one of the coaches I did, I, or one of the people I coached was, uh, and she was a neurosurgeon in Toronto. And she, I don't know about you, Dr. McLeod, but she was doing that. She had a kid who had uh, cancer she had five different research projects she was working on she was teaching she was like and I was like the problem is you got too many things going on and it was funny one day I said you know what you need to do is just you know go for a walk you got a nice path behind your head go for a walk and she came back she said that was the best advice anybody gave because she's too busy to do anything else right it's just mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. you know it's just it's silly but uh, yeah, yeah. And, and, you, and you know one of the you know and I, and I certainly don't mean to mean to tell you guys things you already know about your illness but there are a lot of there are a lot of physicians who have ADHD because the the creative energetic side get into a bunch of projects have lots of energy that that's the cool side of things right yep. but what people don't see is the um, that hyper focus that immerses you into some project that you can work on for hours, but then you forgot your family was there and you didn't get yep. supper and they didn't see you all weekend, or you know you can't relate you can't relate to anybody who isn't interested in your in your area of expertise anymore, and so the interpersonal difficulties that come that come that come from with the loneliness and the isolation that happens. So that's the that's the downside to being that involved in so many of those things. Some, somebody mentioned here, besides the family doc, who can fill out the disability tax credit form, which is a great question. Um, depending on the type of, of disability, uh, so for instance, if there's a disability involves vision, then an optometrist can do, can do it. If the disability involves hearing, an, audio, an audiologist can fill out the form. Um, a family doctor can do all of the, all of the deficits. Um, a physiotherapist can do can do uh, walking uh, walk though the walking area. Uh, an occupational therapist can do the walking and the dressing. Um, and in the mental function section, uh, a nurse practitioner, family doctor, or a psychologist can do can do the form. So if any of you are seeing a psychologist, they can also uh, they can also sign off on the on the disability tax credit form. I wanted to ask because uh, I'm curious 
I guess partly because I'm going to be losing my family doctor uh, very soon. And I would actually like to, you know, reach out to you and, and work with you to help go through the forms and that sort of thing. And I realized that might require some communication with my doctor, which is why I'd like to do it sooner than later. I'm just wondering, do you have to wait for your tax time to submit for this credit or can you submit it at any time? If you can submit it, you can submit it any time at all. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. There are a lot of them that get done around April when, fat, when tax time comes and then another big bump of them often around Christmas time when there's a guest business year ends or something. But, uh, but yeah, no, it can go in at any time. Okay. That's, that's really great to know. Thank you. So I feel really, really honored that you did take the time. The feedback we're getting is phenomenal. So I really appreciate it. Dr. McLeod is, uh, and I'm sure everybody does here as well. I'm uh, sure you're going to get an inbox full of <laughs> emails here, but uh, uh, yeah, is there any other words or anything you'd like to share? No, I don't think so. I hope I hope I answered most most of the, most of the questions, or at least give you some place to start. Anyway, yeah. uh, I wrote in here that the the tax credit form is called the T twenty two hundred one, and it's on the Government of Canada website. And um, anybody that comes to me, I've got a pre kind of preloaded on a computer, so it's no no problem. You don't have to bring anything in uh, if you're coming to see me in person. And like I say, we can. Um, we can uh, chat by email if you'd like to like to talk about uh, getting this thing done up for us. And uh, you guys give me a shout, and uh, we'll we'll take it from there. And if you guys want to do this again sometime, if there's other people coming in that want to hear about it, I'd I'd, I'd love to uh, join again. Dr. McLeod, thank you so much for taking the time, and it's amazing to actually meet you in person. And you're just as nice a person as I thought you were going to be, and I'm sure everybody would agree with that. So, um, really appreciate your time. Oh, my pleasure. Take care.